So, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Okay, I just wanted to say, uh, by means of starting, I can remember uh, jumping in the car and doing the run from uh, the hospital uh, to Tesco in Salisbury. I needed to grab a load of snacks that were just, not just for me, by the way, to fuel up for the night ahead. It was evening. Um, it was dark. And I remember calling my friends because... I, you know, I actually just couldn't contain myself. Joe, my wife, was experiencing the beginning of labour, and soon we were going to meet our daughter. We were going to be parents, and it's, um, I think it's hard to articulate, you know, how it feels when you hold your baby for the first time. You know, so many emotions are running around. You know, I was so proud of Joe. You know, she was an absolute warrior. But there was this moment when there was, um, there was peace. And there you are. There's three of you now. And we looked at our newborn daughter and simply loved her. It was the same how we felt about my son as well. Okay, just let you know. Okay, all right. <laughs> but then, of course, it really dawns on you as you hold that little one in your hands oh, wow, you know, I'm responsible for you. And uh, we're responsible for you. That our love for you now needs to be measured by the way that we care for you. So uh, if you don't know me, good morning. My name is Paul. I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church. And we're continuing our series looking at what it is to be devoted disciples of Jesus. And our goal for this series is to help every individual believer, every individual believer grow into greater maturity in their relationship with Jesus. We want to be a church family who is deeply rooted and standing firm in the goodness of God. That when storms of life come, because they do, we'll not be swayed to the left or to the right nor uprooted because we're a church family that is firmly secure in Jesus. So today we're going to look at what it is to be devoted to relationship. And when we think about that word relationship, it's the way that we view how one person connects to another person. And if you look around us, you know, there are multiple ways in which we could be engaged in some sort of relationship, whether that's a working relationship, or a romantic relationship, or a friendship, or a family relationship. All of these um, relationships are important. And for followers of Jesus, the Bible not only endorses them, but lays the foundation for how God views these relationships to be at their best. I think it's interesting that as we look through the Bible, we discover that God not only relates to us, but does so in all of these ways whether that's a working relationship of king to servant or the romance of bride to bridegroom. In John 15, Jesus shares how his disciples are not just students or servants, but friends due to the nature of that deeper connection with him. In the New Testament, one of the uh, kind of radical changes that occur within the arrival of Jesus is this closer examination that we get to see of the relationship that exists within God himself. We see the Father speaking of his Son and the Spirit. 
We see the Son speaking of the Father and the Spirit. We catch the Spirit speaking of the Father and the Son. And we get this kind of like front row invitation to see this interaction between Father, Son, and Spirit, the relationship of God within himself. And then we begin to see how that relates to us. And whilst family language is used throughout the whole of the Bible, it's here on the arrival of Jesus and the birth of his church that we see a greater emphasis on family relationship, how God relates to himself, how we relate to God, how he relates to us, how we relate to one another, a relationship of fathers, mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, And so today, as ones who are devoted to Jesus, we're going to use the scriptures to help us discover that richness of good relationship, whether working, a romantic, friendship, or family. We're going to catch a glimpse of that relationship modeled and love practiced. Relationship modeled and love practiced. And so hopefully, giving our attention to these two areas in particular, we'll gain a bit of an understanding of what it is to be disciples of Jesus, that out of love for him, we are devoted to relationship. So Father, I want to pray, Lord, uh, Lord, there is only so much um, that I can do, Father, you know, we're really dependent upon you. We're dependent upon you and the gift of your Holy Spirit and the sufficiency of your word. And I pray that it will do us good today as a church family. And for any who are here just seeking what it is to understand who you are. Lord God, you're the one who has the power to reveal. You're the one who has the power to transform. And so we're looking to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to turn your Bibles to John chapter 17, that's probably, I will dot around a little bit, but that's probably the one to keep your thumb in really. And if you know, if anything, I can encourage you. It's a great kind of example to just take away in personal study. So John chapter 17. I'm just literally going to read verse 1, but keep your finger in this one. Okay. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. If I asked you the question, who is your role model? And you know, what I'm... What I'm what is it that you think that I'm hoping that you'll do? Well, my hope is that you'll begin to think about someone who sets an example in life that you admire. Now, setting an example is something that can be done naturally, but it's also something that can be done intentionally. It's a bit like, you know, not licking the knife when your young son or daughter is watching you spread that butter on toast, yeah? <laughs> when we look to the Bible and observe the way that God behaves and the way that God relates, we often see that there's not only a natural element to it, but there's an intentional side to it. It's meant for us to observe and to consider. It's there for us to teach us and to some degree to uh, you know, uh, adopt and replicate. 
because as those who belong to Jesus, we're called to imitate him. In John 17, we have this kind of extraordinary record of Jesus praying on behalf of those who belong to his care. And in this moment, you know, it illuminates, you know, something also of the relationship between him and God the Father. You know, family is one of the key ways with which God chooses to show us how he relates. How he relates within himself as Father, Son and Spirit, but then also how he relates to us. And whilst we look at this example of family in action, there will be principles that you can draw out to apply to other type of relationships in your workplace or your marriages or your you know, pre-marriages. You know. And I'll try to connect some of those dots along the way as we go. Because family, I think, is something that we can all connect with. And whether we've experienced good or bad examples of that type of relationship, you know, it can be hard to know what good family relationship looks like unless you've got something to compare it with. You know, it's through family that God chooses to give us like this key insight as to who he is, how he functions, how he relates. And throughout scripture, he naturally and intentionally goes about the business of demonstrating to us what family looks like, feels like, behaves like at its best. And in modeling this, he shows us what a good family dynamic can look like and therefore something that we can aspire to. Change page and hold tea at the same time. <clears throat> Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And I think if I wanted to major on anything when it comes to like family relationship or indeed any relationship, I'd like you to consider this word honor. Honor. When we examine the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, we see an abounding culture of honor that exists between them. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Son is faithful to the Father as the Father is faithful to the Son. Now, this honor outworks itself within the framework of that father-son relationship. The roles, they don't change. They're not interchangeable. The son willingly submits to the will of the father. He is obedient to what the father asks of him. But in recognition of the way, this, of the son, in recognition of the way that the son so willingly lays himself down, God the father, in turn, elevates Jesus to the point that it's Jesus who has the name above all other names. It's Jesus who becomes the central focus of praise and adoration. And the Father's not upset about this. Matthew 3.17, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. If we wanted to look at a perfect example of what an honoring relationship looks like, particularly within a family dynamic, it's captured here in this loving relationship between God the Father and God the Son. But I think that's probably easily transferable to existing other existing relationship types. For example, we could look at a relationship between employee and employer. If that relationship is at its best, and I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that not many working relationships are, and that's personally because we've got to hold our hands up and say we're human, okay, and therefore prone to get things wrong, uh, which is clearly distinctly different in God's case. 
But also, particularly, I think, in the employment sector, this is where two worlds really collide, isn't it? Those who follow and belong to Jesus and those who do not. And so there's already kind of like a conflict of ideology and philosophy at work. And I guess the same would be true for those in romantic relationships or marriages. You're human, so you get things wrong. It also can be incredibly challenging in those relationship you know, contexts, particularly if there's a Christian, non-Christian kind of context, you know, where from the start, particularly ideology, your ideology or your theology may not be aligned. So that can be a challenge as well, so, which is why the Bible helps us to consider the impact of stepping into those types of relationships. But let's take, let's say, let's say, let's take the relation, working relationship at its best and transfer some of those principles. The employer sets the task for the employee. And with the culture of honour abounding, the employee, out of respect for the employer, completes the task to the best of their ability. Doing this brings honour to the employer. And the employer in turn recognises the respect shown and seeks to elevate, praise and publicly endorse the employee. And can be to the point that the employee outshines the employer. And of course, there would be no danger of ego, inflation or pride, because the employee in humility would be thankful and grateful and in turn bring praise and accolade back to the employer. Who wants to work in that workplace? If we turn our attention to the context of a marriage relationship, you know, when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he says that wives are to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. But it doesn't remain there. He then goes on to address the husbands by saying, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If we want to understand the functional practice of marriage relationship, the Bible points us to the modern example that is set by Jesus in his relationship with his church. The Bible paints the picture of Jesus being the husband figure and the church being the bride, the intended of Christ. As God's church, we are called to submit to Christ. He is our head. We come under his covering. It's not a compulsory thing. It's a love thing. We submit to him out of love for him. And in a similar way, a wife submits to her husband as her head to come under his covering. However, to get... uh, Sorry, that's what happens. A wife submits under her husband as her head to come under his covering. However, to get the full picture of this culture of honour at work, we need to then look at how Jesus behaves as the husband figure. Jesus lays down his life for the church. In sacrificial love, he gives his all for the love of his bride. And he does so in order that the church may be elevated, lifted up like a city on a hill, like a bride walking down the aisle. Jesus lays himself down so the church, the bride, is visible for all to see. So the husband is to be first and foremost sacrificial and servant-hearted. However, Jesus is also releasing and he gives authority to his church, his bride, to go make disciples of all nations, to bring its many gifts to that work, its mission. And it's a, it's a natural thing. It's also a, an intentional thing that Jesus does to show in the same way that if we narrow it down to marriage relationship, a husband can bring this type of honor to his wife. So if you want an understanding of what a bride looks like, have a look at Psalm 48. You can do it in personal time, but 
Have a look at Psalm 48. And it gives a picture of the holy city, Jerusalem, which in Christ is a metaphor for the church. Help us understand that this elevated city, this bride is strong and beautiful. It's secure, a place of fruitfulness. And there is a sense of awe when it's seen. Yet in its elevation, it remains humble and points praise back to him who elevated her. And so we see the cycle of honor all over again, this beautiful balance of submission and elevation, sacrifice and promotion, humility and praise, honor and honor that flows from the example of God the Father to Christ the Son, from Jesus the husband to the church the bride, right into our existing relationships, us to God, us to one another, whether working relationships, romantic relationships, friendships or family. So as one's devoted to Jesus, as one seeking to grow in that relationship, we have some quite fantastic models presented to us in Scripture. They're perfect examples that God naturally and intentionally sets. But growth calls us not just to look at the model and observe it, like having the newborn child in your hands. Though you realize your instant love, you must also recognize the responsibility to put that love into practice. Because love's not just measured by how we feel, but what we do. And maturity comes by putting this stuff into practice. So we're going to look at what it is to practice love. Because that's exactly really what the Word of God does. It moves us. It provokes us to do something about what we've heard or read. If we're not applying this stuff in our lives, then it really renders everything null and void. God's word is meant to inform us, but also change and transform us. So before we get into the practical, I just want to hit some actually probably important scriptural truths regarding relationship that should you know, provide this springboard of putting love into practice. Firstly, we are family. We are family. John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There are lots of community contexts in which you will find that feel of family, and I'm not looking to diminish that. The significant difference, though, between those types of environment and the church is that for every believer in Jesus Christ, you become tied, connected, part of the family of God. It's not just a feel of family, it is family. Knitted together in Christ through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Now here, this of course is a local family, but you will find family in Christ all over the nations. You are a son or daughter of the living God. And we are to address one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. Secondly, we are a bride. Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come, that is Jesus, and his bride has made herself ready. This is to paint the picture of the loving and covenantal aspects of our relationship with Jesus. Christ has asked us. We have said yes. A covenant has occurred the heavenly realms are witnesses. We have committed ourselves to him. He has committed himself to us. We have a deep love for him. He has a deep love for us. 
like a husband, he holds himself accountable. That's a beautiful moment in John 17. You know, he, Jesus talks about how he has not lost one. You know, he holds himself accountable to God for the people he's been entrusted with. He holds himself accountable to God the Father for the church. He covers us, guards us. We come under his care, his shelter. He elevates us, causes us and releases us to flourish, gives us authority to go out in his name. And he perfectly demonstrates a beautiful culture of honor. which It doesn't change role or function, but actually fully releases us within that role to be all that we can be in light of who he is and point the praise back to him. Thirdly, we are servants. Acts 4.29 And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is the church speaking and it's really to paint the picture of that working relationship with Jesus. He's the one who came not to be served, but to serve. Even in that very prayer that I've just, you know, from that overflow of that verse, the, from what the disciples make, they, the next line declares Jesus as God's holy servant. Jesus came to fulfill a task, a mission, to reconcile men and women to God. And that was going to be accomplished through his death at the cross and the resurrection of his body from the grave. We, in the same manner, we carry that heart and function of serving. We have a task that we've been given to make disciples of all nations, to be witnesses of the good news, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to be those who care for the poor and will stand for justice. All done with the heart of service, service to God, service to one another, service to the community. So to understand something of who we are as family and as bride and as servants, that's going to help us like springboard into looking what it is to put love into practice. And so those, you know, <laughs> with those three things, we're going to look at another three things that helps us growing in our devotion to relationship by putting into putting that love into practice. We're going to look at our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with community. You know, just coming back to that picture of the newborn baby, love in practice recognizes that need to cultivate, to cultivate sorry, the gift you've been given. There is now a responsibility there. If you leave that responsibility unattended, you won't have that growth or it won't, they won't have that development. There won't be a strengthening. In fact, it leaves you and probably what you've been given in a place of vulnerability. However, I will affirm this afresh. Love is the greatest motivator to get something done. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Out of love, he gave. He did something about it. I loved holding our newborn baby with that little one in my hands. Even though I knew we would need help and support, there's suddenly a drive within me to do my part as dad. And that is what should pour out from us as followers of Jesus, this burning desire and drive to do our part as family, to do our part as bride, and to do our part as servants. So let's start by looking at our relationship with God, okay? 
<coughs> family. Okay, my encouragement to you for putting love into practice is quality time. Quality time. You know, you've probably heard that phrase, quality family time. For those of you who are parents, got the kitty winkles. It's, it's usually when there's a particular date in the week or a holiday point, you know, that's devoted to time together. You know, when you're not just like, I think Hattie used the phrase like passing ships in the night, you know, from prophetic word. It's, you know, it's not just taxing your children from here to there. Sometimes you're all together. You know, that quality time is when you come together. It's that, or it's, you know, it's that one-to-one type thing. For Joe and I and the kids, it's usually dinner time. That's the time when we uh, discover how the kids' day has been and we kind of have to really probe into finding out how that really is, you know. We get all the kind of drama information and, you know, we try to get more than two words from Ben. So that's, it's all good fun. I also like taking my daughter to football training, not just because I love watching her play, but also I get that little extra bit of quality time when she's not got her earphones in her ears of a drive there and back. Quality time, it's all work in progress, I'm just letting you know, okay? (laughs) Quality time is key. When Jesus gave that prayer to his disciples from Matthew 6, you know, it's a template for spending quality time with God as family. It starts with our Father. It's not meant to be typically reiterated word for word. It's meant to help you consider, think through, ponder, to honor before asking, to ask without fearing, to petition with confidence. I won't know my children, and my children won't really know me unless there's some quality time involved. Jesus models withdrawing, spend, you know, withdrawing to spend time with his father. Daniel models giving himself to prayer three times a day. There are examples set before us in the scriptures of quality, what quality time looks like. And that, of course, that may differ from person to person and family to family, but the fundamentals remain. You know, God already knows all about you. He has a desire for you to know all about him. Now, as a bride, uh, when putting love into practice in our relationship with God, I'd like you to consider the word faithfulness. What is it to be faithful in your relationship with God? The first commandment God gives to the people of Israel is this. You shall have no other gods before me. It means to set the principle of God first in your life. It overflows and that pours into every stream of activity that you give your attention to. You know, as a bride, we walk down the aisle and our attention, our gaze is primarily given to the groom, to Jesus. He's the one that should hold our attention as a husband figure. It doesn't mean that we can't engage in other things and enjoy friendships, but they always find their place out of the overflow of a relationship with Jesus. What is it in life that has the potential to take your attention away? And as a servant, when it comes to putting love into practice in our relationship with God, I'd like you to consider the word obedience. You know, Abraham is a man credited with having great faith. He wouldn't have known everything about God, but he knew enough to do what God asked of him. Sometimes the choices and decisions that we have to make in life are hard. Sometimes what God asks of us can feel really hard, like moving to a different location or changing career or giving up a particular relationship. At the end of November, we're going to have a... We've got a family who are seeking God over a potential move from Fordingbridge, uh, to Fordingbridge from Bradford. 
It's like a, I don't know how long that journey, it's a long journey. It's a, it's a huge decision for a family to make such a big move. They don't know all the ins and outs. But ultimately, they know God is bigger. And they are seeking to be faithful to God's call upon their lives. They want to be obedient servants. So from relationship with God to relationship with others, let's look at family then. So as family, we want to, when it comes to putting love into practice with one another, um, I'd like us to consider the word honour. The Apostle Paul talks about how we should seek to outdo one another in showing honour. Which means to show love by the way that we respect, serve and bless one another. It's the way we listen. The way we make time is the gifts that we give, the words that we speak, the actions we take, which all paint this picture of, I honour you. When it comes to the bride and putting love into practice in our relationship with church family, I like us to consider the word holiness. God, through his son, has set us apart for himself. This is something he has done, but also God partners with his people. So we also have a part to play. Like, like you, I entrust my son and my daughter as a newborn to God, but he also expects me to do my bit as well. This is something... Uh, holiness is really how, you know, we as, um, as a bride, we set ourselves apart for God, remembering that we carry the spirit of God within us. We are his temple let us be the ones who wonderfully cultivate one another, help each other grow in our holiness and our set-apartness to God. And there are lots of practical you know, ways we can do that, but what I want to emphasize here is the way that we look out for one another in the way that we are set apart for God. And as servants, when it comes to putting love into practice, I'd like us to consider the word laborers. Paul in this letter to the Philippian church talks about how two women had, he had two women by his side who would labor with him. Now, they labored with him in the gospel together. Now, if you want to grow in your relationship with others, ask the question, what can I do to help you? We are to labor together. And that effectively means giving yourself to working hard as a collective demonstration of the way that we are family together on a mission together. And that's us being on task and grafting together. And of course, there's all sorts of ways in which we can labor together. Clearly, it's not just about physically accomplishing something. I look at my, my stepdad's hands. You know, they've got weathered, they're weathered hands. You know, they're, they're workmen's hands. Mine are like a baby's. Okay. There's different ways in which we can function and labor together. But we are called to work we are called to graft. And, you know, there's nothing better, you know, to me than an example of a healthy work ethic that flows, you know, in honor to God through the, the way that church family works together. <laughs> that picture of builders building a house together is a powerful image. At its best, and without multiple lunch breaks, it's quality work. It takes skill, strength, stamina, experience, and a healthy work ethic. Jesus is the one who builds his church, but the privilege is that he uses us to do so, shoulder to shoulder, builders employed by the great architect. 
And finally, just to finish, we're going to look at relationship with community then. So when it comes to be, being church family on a mission together in the community, I'd like you to consider the word model. One of the most devastating things, I think, to me, I think, when you look out, sometimes it exists within church life as well, but outside church life, you know, is a family unit that is broken. And I know there can be all sorts of reasons for that. Uh, but family is what God has established. And at its best, it is something beautiful and strong because it reflects the nature of who God is and how he relates. The family of God, the Bible talks you know, as the household of God, is something beautiful and strong. It, it, it might look a little bit funny, okay? Just take a look around you. We all look a bit funny, okay? <clears throat> it's made of all sorts of people, but that, that's also its real strength. Because, you know, as we know by Scripture, it's not on the outside of what makes us who we are. It's what God has done and what God reveals in the heart. It's on the inside. And this family, not just here and across Wimborne and Verwood as well, contains many fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. And this model of family that invests in quality time and honors one another, that is a model to the world of what a good family looks like. It brings the fragrance of Christ and is attractive to the eye. As a bride, I would like us to consider the words beauty and strength. Uh, strength maybe not because of who we are, but because who is with us. You know, beauty because of the way that Jesus has clothed us. Beauty because of the way the Savior goes before us. We as the bride, we walk down the aisle. You know, there are many eyes watching. Many eyes watching. And the groom, you know, you know, the groom stands at the end just as the bride comes. And completely delighted that actually all the attention is being primarily given to, you know, it's given to the church. The bride of Christ has a beauty that draws, a strength that causes those observing to question, what is it about this family so radically different from any other family? When in, we then, of course, get in turn to explain the reason why, why we are so different. Why is it that we've got our eyes fixed upon this particular groom? Okay, and finally, in strengthening our relationship with community, I'd like us... Um, consider this word serve I know we talk about this a lot but I, th I think about the way in the parable of the good Samaritan okay in just of in reaching out and being on mission together the way that the good Samaritan ministers he means to serve the man who has been beaten and left on the roadside you know he asks for nothing in return he really goes all out to ensure that the man is cared for right then, but also much further to his rehabilitation is taken care of. The heart is to bless and to restore. And in practically serving such a way to the community, you are presenting a precious picture of the gospel. The love of Jesus coming to the aid of us who were helpless on the roadside. His gift of grace to us, his ministry to us is to see us cared and restored, not just to who we were, but the person that we could be with him. When we serve community, we're on mission together. 
we are being good news together. Yes, we are to serve God. Yes, we are to serve one another. But we're also called to serve the community around us. And that is a model that I think is attractive in presenting the gospel of good news. Okay, let me invite the band. Let's, let's stand together. Relationship modeled, love practiced. Relationship modeled, love practiced. As we aspire to grow into a greater maturity of relationship, I want us, you know, to call us to a place of honoring Him who has brought us together as family, who has elevated us as bride and has partnered with us as servants on mission together. And I just, um, really, there are three words, just as we you know, come into this place of worship, there are three words that came to me right at the beginning of my preparation when it came to love practice. I thought it was gonna be part of my preach prep. I think really now, it's just about how God is potentially calling some of us to respond. And those three words are grace, forgiveness, and investment. Grace, forgiveness, and investment. And I think that might be a word for some of you here. Relationships, you know, they're not easy. We're human. We make mistakes. But God is looking at how we respond in those moments. God's heart has been towards us, our heart attitude of grace. He showered us with kindness that we have not deserved. His heart towards us has been forgiveness. Through His Son, He has made a way for us to be made right with Him. And He has let go of all our past hurts toward Him. And His heart attitude towards us is investment. He has given into you and wants to continue to give into you. And He does that and not just through His Spirit, not just through his word, but through one another as well as church family. There's an investment in you to see you become the best you that you were made to be in him. So for some of you here, I think God is just wanna speak over you in a very gentle and grace-filled way as I have done for you, be reminded to do that to others. Show grace. Shower people with unmerited kindness because that is how I've treated you. You got something going on with someone else that's unresolved. Go forgive them. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that suddenly you're best buds. You know, Jesus talks about how many times, you know, the disciples say how many times, Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. God has forgiven you, 
keep forgiving others. It doesn't mean that suddenly everything is right in the air and you may need to you know, disconnect from that relationship to, to help your walk with God in one way. But that doesn't mean that you can't forgive before God over that person. And investment is lastly, I think someone, you know, God will challenge you. You've got something to offer. You've got something to give into someone else. You know, you feel that burning within you. You've got something to bring and offer to be a blessing to invest, whether that's your time, your energy, your, your finance, whatever it is, whatever it looks like in terms of being a blessing and investment to someone else. You know, I feel, you know, that God said, don't, don't wait anymore now. Go, go, do, go do that. Be a blessing. Serve invest so father we just want to thank you for your word thank you that we're family thank you that we're a bride thank you that we're servants called to partner mission to you lord god thank you for the way that you have behaved towards us lord thank you father that you know in discovering our love for you we can't do anything else but try and put that love into practice otherwise it becomes all null and void we are meant to hear the word and be doers of the word lord god we we want to be guys with faith with deeds lord and so father i pray would you just lord come amongst with your presence do business with us where we've fallen short and got things wrong lord god thank you that you know that's what we're going to do because we're human but thank you lord we're looking for the way that we respond out of that to bring honor and glory to your name and i pray for that culture of honor to a in every relationship, in our relationship to you, in relationship to one another and a relationship to the community. May culture, a culture of honour abound, I pray, as we point this all back to you and give honour to you, Lord, the one who's won our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.